Welcome to today's reading. We're going to be reading a page 512 from the big book of Arcock Anonymous, Empty on the Inside, Ed, Ray and I. And we're going to go ahead and uh, let's go say the set-aside prayer. Lord, I set aside everything I think I know about this program, my fellow man, myself, for a fresh new idea and revelation with you, with my fellow man and myself to better do your work and do your will we ask in your name we pray amen, amen. all right empty on the inside i'll read a couple of paragraphs here we go she grew up around aa and had all the answers except when it came to her own life I spent acting as if, either acting as if I knew I didn't ask teachers questions in school, they might find out I didn't know the answer, or acting if I didn't care. I always felt as though everyone else had been given the direction to life and I had been somewhere else when God was handling them out. To me, you either knew how to do something or you didn't. You could play the piano or you couldn't. You were a good ball player or you weren't. I don't know where I learned the attitude that it wasn't all right not to know, but it was a certainly in my life, and it almost killed me. The concept of set a goal, work for the goal, achieve the goal, was foreign to me. You either had it or you didn't, and if you didn't, you couldn't let on, you might look bad. I never once stopped to consider that others might really have to work hard for what they had. Gradually, my attitude translated into contempt for those who didn't know. Leave it to an alcoholic to look down on someone who is successful. Pass. Ernest Alcoholic. My father joined Alcoholics Anonymous when I was seven. Many of my childhood Friday nights were spent at open AA meetings because we couldn't afford a babysitter i was a kid sitting over in the corner with a book what effect did i have i knew that being alcoholic meant you couldn't drink anymore and that you had to go to aa as my drinking career began i was always careful not to utter the a word in connection with my name at my house i would have been handed a meeting schedule besides i knew that aa was all old guys that drink coffee, smoked, and ate donuts. <laughs> I had been there, looking back. I'm sure most of those old guys were barely 30. So no AA for me. That would mean not drinking, and when I drank, life changed. I was 15 the first time I got drunk. I can tell you where I was, who I was with, what I was wearing. It was an important day for me. Within a year, I was a poster child for adolescent treatment of alcoholism. My grades plunged. My friends changed. I wrecked a car. My appearance went downhill. I was suspended from school. When I first got sober, I wondered why my parents never checked me into treatment. Then I remembered they didn't have adolescent treatment centers when I was 18. As a matter of fact, I still have ceramics dad made me in the psychiatric ward because when he was drinking, they didn't have treatment centers. I was always ready 
with a promise to do better, to try harder, to apply myself, to live up to my potential. Potential now, there is the cur- there is the curse of everybody an alcoholic. I managed to graduate somehow and went on to college where I promptly flunked out. I couldn't make it to class. Hindsight was showing has shown me two reasons for this. First, if someone else had a free period, I tied along with them. I thought that I had to be with my friends at friends all the time. I was afraid that if they spent any time without me, they might begin to wonder, why do I hang out with her anyway? They might realize they had a better time without me. And then they might tell other people. Who would tell other people and I'd be alone? Pass. Second social conversation was a skill that I never acquired. When I met someone, I felt totally inadequate. To me, when I said, hi, my name is, there followed a defiant silence, as if they were thinking. So, how did people have conversations anyway? How did they meet and then begin to talk as if they had known each other for years? For me, it was one more thing that it wasn't all right not to know. So I kept drinking. When I drink, drank, I didn't matter. It's important to interject here that I love to drink. Drinking put me in the middle of life. I was a social drinker. Drinking made me extremely social. I didn't particularly like drinking with other women. I drank with the big boys. I always had a tremendous capacity for alcohol, and I learned to shoot an excellent game of pool, which made me quite popular in the local tavern scene. At one point, I even had my own motorcycle. When I read Bill's story in the big book and he said I had arrived, I knew what he he meant. For 14 years, my drinking took me places I never meant to go. First, I moved south since I knew the town I grew up in, in was my problem. I once heard a guy remark in a meeting that there are three or four states that should just post signs on their borders. This state doesn't work either. I did the things women do. My first marriage was really a one-night stand that lasted five years. I certainly couldn't admit that I had made a mistake. We had two children and I wanted out, but to leave would have men taking responsibility. I just drank until he threw me out. Then it was his fault the marriage failed. Pass. At one point before moving home, I lost a job that meant a lot to me. As a direct result of my drinking, for the first time, I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and said, I am an alcoholic. And when I had gone to meetings with my dad, I always just said, I'm with him. I called my father and told him I went to a meeting. Within a week, he mailed me a box containing the book Alcoholics Anonymous, a tape of his AA talk, a couple of meditation books, a copy of 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and a few other odds and ends. I think he had been saving up for the day I was willing. So divorced, I moved back home. Within a year, I was under arrest for child endangerment. I had left my sleeping children home alone and gone to drink. They were removed from my custody and placed with my mother. Then started my rounds of treatment centers. I could talk a good game. After all, I had grown up with AA. 
I was the one that counselors asked to talk to other women who were reluctant to leave their kids long enough to go into the treatment. I could give the whole speech, we can't be good mothers if we're not sober. The problem was inside, I was relieved that my kids had to live with my mom. It was too hard to be a parent, but I couldn't tell people that they might think I was a bad mom. And I was, I was a bad mom. I was a terrible mom. No, I didn't beat them. And of course, I told them I loved them. But the message my kids got from me was, yes, I love you. Now go away. They had to be practically invisible in their own home. I had absolutely nothing to give them emotionally. All they wanted was my love and attention. And alcoholism robbed me of that ability to give it. To, to give it. I was empty on the inside. While I was in treatment, my dad died. And I inherited almost enough money to kill myself. I got to drink the, day, the way I wanted to for two and a half years. I'm sure I got here faster because of it. Near the end, I was living in an attic apartment. The money was long gone. It was November, cold and gray. When I woke up at 5.30, it was gray outside. Was it 5.30 a.m. or 5.30 p.m.? I couldn't tell. I looked out the window watching people. Were they going to work or coming home? I went back to sleep. When I woke again, it would either be light or dark, opening my eyes. After that, it seemed like hours. It was only 5.45 and gray. I was 28 years old. I finally got on my knees and asked God for help. I couldn't go on the way I was living. I had been in the apartment since August and I hadn't bothered to unpack. I wasn't bathing. I couldn't answer my phone. I couldn't show up on the weekends to visit my kids. So I prayed. Something made me go dig through a box and I found the big book my father had sent me years earlier. I always tell new people to buy the hardcover version for the same reason. They are harder to throw away. I read Bill's story again. This time it made sense. This time I could identify. I slept holding the book like a teddy bear. I woke up feeling rested for the first time in months. I didn't want to drink. I would love to tell you that I have been sober ever since, but that is not the case. I didn't want to drink that day, but I took no action to ensure it against, against it. You see, I believe that we get more than one moment of grace from God. But it is up to us to seize the moment by talk, by taking action. But I headed the voice that said, you may as well drink. You know you're going to. Pass. For the next few days, every time I went to my favorite watering hole, I was surrounded by people talking about sobering up. My bartender wanted to quit drinking. The guy I was shooting pool with talked about going back to AA. Someone next to me at the bar was talking about being at the local clubhouse for AA. I did stop drinking soda for a few months, but eventually went on the bender that would end it all. By the end of two weeks of drinking, nobody was speaking to me, so I headed south where I was sure they all missed me. There was no homecoming parade. People barely remember me. And by the end of a week, I was out of money. I couldn't even, even book a plane ticket home. I had less than $1, and I had one of those hangovers. I knew if I tried to sit in the airport bar long enough for someone to buy me a drink, it would be obvious that was my intent. 
and my pride couldn't bear the thought of being asked to leave. I briefly considered mugging the little old lady and stealing her purse, but I knew I would end up picking up one who was still in shape. <laughs> if there had been one more dollar, I might not be sober today. Once I was drinking, I always had a plan, but that day, by the grace of God, I was out of plans. I didn't have one single better idea. I called my mom where I was. I called my mom and I told her where I was and I asked her to fly me home. She later told me she almost didn't do it, but she was afraid they'll never see me again. She deposited me at the local detox center where she told me I could go in or not, but that she was done with me. I was on my own. Detox gave me the same message. I thought they should send me out on, on to a treatment center. 30 days of hot meals and rest was sounding pretty good to me, but they told me I already knew everything treatment was going to teach me, that I should go do it and save the bed for someone who needed it. I have been sober ever since. I was finally accountable for my own recovery. I was responsible for taking the action. One of my favorite games had always been making it someone else's job to see that I got, I got my work done. The game was over. I had never expected to live to see 30. Suddenly I was 29 and a half and showing no signs of dying any time. I knew in my heart that I would live whether I drank or not. And that no matter how bad it was, it could always get worse. Some people got sober because they, they're afraid to die. I knew I would live, and that was far more terrifying. I had surrendered. Pass. The first night out of detox, I went to a meeting, and the woman speaking commented that alcoholism had taken her to the point where she didn't want to work and didn't want to care for her daughter. She just wanted to drink. I couldn't believe it. That was me. She became my first sponsor, and I came back. The second night, I sat in what I know now called the new guy chair, second row, against the wall. If you sit in back, they know you're new. And if you sit in front, you might have to talk to somebody. When it came time to hold hands and pray at the end of the, at the, end of the meeting, I had no hand to hold on one side. I remember thinking, I will never fit in here. And hanging my head, I felt my hand being taken. Someone in front of me had taken the time to, to be sure that the circle was complete. To this day, I don't know who it was, but that person is the reason I came back the next night. That person saved my life. And I kept coming back. The local clubhouse had a noon big book meeting every day. And I went every day, not to get sober, mind you, and certainly not to learn about what was in the book. Here was my thinking. I knew you were supposed to read your big book every day. And they went around the room reading an entire chapter. So that should count, right? This is also took up nearly 30 minutes. So it was less likely that I would get called on to talk. And the meeting was at noon, which left my nights free. I figured out all that with my keen alcoholic mind. Luckily, I, for, I forgot that God is in charge of my of results. I was finally talking, taking action, and my motives didn't matter. I thought I'd go through the big book once. 
then graduate to discussion meetings, but there was a lot of laughter in that room, so I kept going. I was not one of those people who walked into meetings and said, thank God, I'm home. I did not particularly want what they said had. I just didn't want what I had anymore, and that was the humble beginning of I needed. Pass. The convenience of the noon meeting meant that I went to two meetings every day. I had nothing else to do at night. I began to notice people there with several years of sobriety. My own laziness had thrown me in with some of the most active people in Alcoholics Anonymous. What I found out was that people who attended big book meetings on a regular basis tended to read the book and do what it says. When I was two weeks sober, a man's nine-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And three days later, he was at a meeting saying he had to believe it wasn't for nothing. That maybe one alcoholic would get sober because of it. As I left that day, I found myself wondering what would have happened if that had been my kids or me? What would they remember about me? A feeling came over. I knew now it was gratitude. And I realized that I could call my children right then and tell them I loved them. That I could show up when I was said I would, that my word could be worth something to them, that even though I might always just be mom who comes over and the weekends, I could be a good weekend mom. I had a chance to move forward with them. Forging a relationship built on a foundation of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, rather than always trying to make up for the past, one year later I was able to share with the man that maybe it hadn't been for nothing because my life changed that day. By the time by the time a month passed, my feet were firmly planted in alcoholic anonymous and I kept coming back. I cannot begin to list all the wonderful things that have happened in my years here. My kids were four and six when I got sober and they have grown up in AA. I brought them to open meetings and the people there gave them what I couldn't in the early days love and attention. Gradually, they became part of my life again, and today I have custody of my children. Pass. I remarried an Alcoholics Anonymous to a man who believes in AA the way I do. I knew we were off to a good start when he didn't get angry that I stood him up to go to a 12-step meeting. We agreed to never be higher than third on each other's list. With God always first and Alcoholics Anonymous second, he is my partner and my best friend. We both sponsor several people, and our house is filled with love and laughter. Our telephone never stops ringing. We share the joy of a common solution. We have had some tough times. Our son is the third generation of AAs in my family. After a suicide attempt at age 14, we found out he, he too was an alcoholic. After his one year in AA, it's hard to tell what will happen. But we trust Alcoholics Anonymous even on the days we don't trust our son. Our daughter is a beautiful, competent teenager who has found her own path to God without having to drink. She is the product of the love and faith of Alcoholics Anonymous. I still have a sponsor and a home group today. I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing. I learned how to be a good AA member by watching good AA members and doing what they do. 
I learned how to have a good marriage by watching people with good marriages and doing what they do. I learned how to be a parent by watching good parents and doing what they do. And I finally have the freedom of believing that it is all right not to know. <laughs> amen, amen. What a nice amen. story. We read, we read that on the Sunday meeting, and I thought it was... That is a nice story. Yeah. What, what part stood out for you? Uh, you know, it's not one particular part that stood out, but I, I just enjoyed her whole story. You know, getting to the point where she realized I couldn't give my kids what they wanted because of AA. I mean, because of alcoholics. Because she was an alcoholic, you know, she couldn't give them. She told me, "I love you," but she was there because of the alcohol. Right. And yeah, the whole story with this. this, I can't pick one particular part. You know, the whole story just. Yeah, I'm looking through the pages, but uh, me too. You know, I just, I just thought it had a really good ending and. uh, and, and there was a point there that, you know, that is a shoestring. A lot of us come in and we're barely hanging on. You know, when I first came in, I was barely hanging on with a shoestring to my to society, to my job, paying my bills. You know, if that string would have snapped, then I would have ended up uh, living in, in a garage and drinking more and, uh, and going from house to house, you know, and people giving me a 20 bucks here. You know, he's a drunk. You know, labeling it as a drunk that that there's no solution. They just accept you and they live their lives and they give you their scrap. But thank God that this lady, I like the part where she says, I acted. Acting is is faith in action. When I don't have any faith, I'll act like I have faith. I'll act like I'll carry the big book with me to the meetings. I'll act like a good student of the business. And eventually, when I carry the big book around me, my subconscious mind will say to itself, why does he keep carrying up that book in his arm, in his hand? I wonder what's in it. You know, I need to know what's in it because the subconscious mind is always dishing out solutions for us. You know, we, everything we present to our computer in the background, we'll analyze and compute it and have... Uh, but what I'm saying is I created the... I created the vacuum and the curiosity in my brain. You know, I will say things like, I wonder what's inside this book. You know, it's really going to be nice when I when I conquer this book. So, amen. So, and then the subconscious opens up and grabs it more. And because we, cre- we created the vacuum by saying, you know, by carrying it around and acting like I was a good student of the business. Amen. There's more to that. But, you know, uh, I'm glad I read it with you. Thank you so much for helping me read. You're an excellent reader. You know, it's amazing. You know, thank you, you, thank you, Fernando. All right, then. We'll let you go. Let's go ahead and finish off with the uh, serenity prayer, please. God. God. Grant me the serenity, me the serenity to accept the things, accept I, cannot things I cannot change. The courage, the courage to change, the things, to change the things I can. And the wisdom, and the to, wisdom know the to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It works because we're working it. Thank you, Fernando. Thank Have you. Have a great day. You too, darlings. Bye.